The Gospel of John paints this beautiful scene. John chapter 20. The scene where we get Mary walking to the tomb. The scene where you start to understand the reality of what is about to go down for them. The reality of seeing the stone rolled away. The reality of seeing the linens folded. The reality that he is not here. It's a beautiful scene, really. Because as Mary arrives, she sees the stone rolled away. And maybe you can, maybe you can sense with Mary in that moment. As she approaches the tomb, she sees the, the stone rolled away. You can sense what's going on in her heart. You can sense the emotions building up. You can sense exactly what is going through her mind. Because the first thing that she does is she actually turns and she goes back to go and find the disciples. And I love John. He's kind of, I think John is a comedian in some ways. Because as he writes this, it says that Mary goes and she sees and she encounters Peter. And then the disciple that Jesus loved. John, you wrote the book. Bro, you're talking about you. Come on, not right? And then it says, you know, at once Peter and John, they hear the message of Mary. And what do they do? They strap on their Air Nikes and they run. They take off to the tomb. And I love, again, John is a comedian because he says, and Peter ran, but the other disciple beat him. Like, dude. And sure enough, John gets there and he looks at the tomb and then it says, as John is standing there, Peter comes, probably winded, enters into the tomb and they notice the linen, the headdressing folded nicely sitting there. They look and they see that he's not here. And so what do those two do? They leave. They, they leave. Empty tomb. Peter, John, see it. Counter it. They leave. And they go back to their house. Surely to tell others, surely to continue to proclaim it. But Mary arrives again. And Mary sees more. Mary encounters more. Mary encounters the angels. Mary encounters more than just an empty tomb and folded linens. There's a moment for Mary where things get real. And I think in this moment, it lends us to the question, a very simple question to be honest with you. <clears throat> and I think it's a, a question that most of us, if not all of us, have struggled with or are struggling with today, if I'm going to be honest. It's a simple question, and this is it. What level of restoration do you believe is possible for you today? What level of restoration is possible for you today? Most of us walked in here, maybe unconsciously wrestling with that exact question. What level of restoration is possible for you today? Because here it is, these two disciples go and they see the empty tomb. They see the linens. They, they see the stone off to the side. It's empty. But 
Did they believe there was more? Could there have been more? They, they leave. But Mary, maybe Mary has a longing for more than just an empty tomb. Mary, maybe Mary has a deep desire for more than just a stone being rolled away and nobody there. Maybe Mary seeks more than just this right now. And I think Mary was wrestling with the question of what restoration is possible. Because this scene is beautiful that we're going to dig into today. What happens after that moment is one of the most beautiful, restorative, redemptive stories in this book. And I believe it's truly at the core one of the most beautiful things that we can begin to understand. And here's why. The resurrection of Christ is the great restoration of the world. The resurrection of Christ is the great restoration of the world. It wasn't just this event, but it's a process. And I want to pause. I want to take a TV time out here and just really lay the cards on the table. Can I do that? For some of us, we have felt, we have known, we have walked in this redemptive and restorative process where we've acknowledged Christ as our Savior. We believe that he has died for our sins and rose again so that we can be with him in eternity. For some of us, we walked in today, this morning, understanding that to our core, maybe. But maybe, just maybe, there's some of us in this room watching online who haven't. Who haven't understood this in their core, in their spirit yet. But you can. But you can. Today, you can. And so here's what I want to do. I want to take just a moment. I truly mean this. I want to take a moment. And I want to invite you, each and every one of us, I, and I mean this, um, I'm all about making people feel uncomfortable. And so I want to invite all of us to simply do something very, very honest and raw. Would you just close your eyes and open your hands, palms up real quick. Just take two seconds. And in your own spirit and in your own heart and in your own moment right here, right now, would you just invite God right now to begin to speak to you? In your own mind, just right now, just utter the words. Maybe it's audibly out loud for you. Maybe it's just quietly of God, speak to me this morning. God, prepare my heart for what you have for me this morning. And just breathe him in and let him fill you as we embark on this restoration that has happened in the garden. So take a deep breath in. And breathe out the things of this world. Breathe out the things that you walked in with, the baggage, the chaos. Take another deep breath in. Breathe in his presence, his peace, his salvation for us. And breathe out your own desires, your own workings. And just let him fill you in this moment. <clears throat> I want to invite you now to 
Go on, turn with me if you have your Bible, flip it open on your phone, iPad, whatever it is you have. Go on and open up to John chapter 20 with me. Um, I don't know if it helps you or not. It is on page 1085 on my Bible. Um, Probably no help for you, though, because you don't have my Bible. But I have it. That's good. So here's where we're going to start. We're going to start at verse 11. We're going to kind of chunk it up a little bit. Cool? And this is what it says, verse 11 through 13. Here, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, (laughs) why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Here's what I love. Mary is weeping here. It says she is crying, and as she wept, she looks in, and she sees these angels, one at the head, one at the foot, and they ask her a simple question. Why are you crying? If you ask me, it seems pretty insensitive for the angels to be like, why are you crying? You are sitting in a tomb, angels, right? But here it is. We have to understand the, the, the bigger picture Mary would have been in the grieving process. If we've ever lost someone in our own lives, we understand that we grieve, we mourn, and it's not just like a two-hour thing and we're done, right? It kind of can linger. It kind of can go on. Well, back in those days, she would have been part of the seven-day grieving period for the Jewish people. And this is what that meant. She would have, had, she would have been forbidden to bathe during this time. She would have been forbidden to work to have sex, or to even read scripture. In this seven-day period, she would have been forbidden to do those things. And so she shows up, and she sees these angels. And it says the angels are clothed in what? White. Now, that would have been a pretty stark contrast to traditional mourners. They would have been either wearing like a black type of cloth or a sackcloth not white clothing. And so these angels in this brilliance of white sitting in the tomb. And she starts to have this an encounter with the angels. They ask her that simple question, why are you crying? If I'm Mary, I would assume I'm pretty emotional right now. And then you go on and ask me that question, I'm aggravated. I might even be frustrated. You know what I'm saying? You, you know why I'm crying. Because there could be a very real reality that in this moment, not seeing the body of her Savior there could have been a triggering moment for her of going back to square one in the mourning process. Confusion could have set in. All these emotions could have been flustering up in her. The worry, the mystery of what is going on. Mary was looking for him. Mary was looking for what she thought was there, his body. And when she utters those words, when she's uttering those words, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put them. You can almost sense the desperation in her voice, can you not? You can almost feel the pain heartache, the desperation. Where, where is he? 
They have taken him. Where is he? And you have to remember, she is weeping, she is crying. And so in these moments, she utters these words to these angels who are sitting in the tomb at the foot and where the head would be. She utters these words and then says she turns to walk away. And then this is what we get, verse 14 and 15. At this, after she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? But listen to that second question. Who, who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Now, TV timeout. Mary. I picture Mary being maybe five foot three, probably a smaller gal. And she looks at Jesus, who is the gardener, and she goes, listen, bro. This is the Kyle translation now. Listen, bro, wherever you took him, wherever you put him, I'll go get him. Like, really, Mary? You're five foot three. You maybe weigh 115 soaking wet. And you're going to go get Jesus the body of Jesus, who would have been a probably closer, maybe towards six foot. I'd like to say he's about my height, six foot three, give or take a few inches. But like, he would have been bigger than Mary. And she's thinking that she's going to go get him. She's having this conversation with Jesus, and she doesn't realize this is Jesus. And she just tells him, wherever you've put him, wherever you took him, just, just tell me. Again, do you hear the desperation in her voice? Just, just tell me, and I will go get him. I'll do whatever it takes to bring him back. There's this moment where she's having a conversation with the gardener. Gardeners. It would not have been out of place to see the gardener near the tomb. Gardeners were very low on the, the social scale. So him being there, the gardener being there was not odd. It was not out of the normal. This is a completely normal encounter in Mary's eyes. They'd be tending, most likely gardeners would have been tending to the wealthy tombs. Do we remember whose tomb Jesus was laid in? Who is it? Joseph. Joseph was wealthy. And so Joseph has a gardener, gardener tending to the tomb. This is a normal encounter for her. And as she has this conversation with him, it's not a surprise he's there. It's not odd that he's there. And it's also not weird for this lady, this, this gal, to have a conversation with a gardener. Both of them are pretty low on the totem pole, so to say, Right? But here's something that's interesting. There's a moment in between verse 15 and 16. Something radical and restorative happens. And don't miss it. Don't miss it. Here we go. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, 
Do not hold on to me. I have not yet ascended to be with the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascended to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This is getting personal here. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that she had said these things to her. Listen, in these verses, there's something beautiful that happens. In verse 15, she's having this conversation with the gardener. Don't miss this. And as this conversation happens, desperately pleading with him, wherever you took him, just tell me I will go get him. Essentially, what she is doing is this. She's having the conversation with the gardener. Wherever you took him, just tell me I will go get him. And then there's a moment where she turns back to the tomb. In that moment, in that moment, maybe it was a long pause, maybe it was a longer period of time, maybe it was a minute, maybe it was just short two seconds. There's a moment where things radically begin to change for Mary. She's having a conversation with Jesus, and it says she doesn't recognize him. This could be a supernatural body. Jesus' post-resurrection body is radically different than his pre-crucifixion body. This could be a supernatural encounter. We, we know that all in the Gospels after Jesus is risen from the dead, there are many disciples and followers of Jesus who do not recognize him. We see this. We understand this. This is not super odd for us. But there's also a moment, and I don't want to miss it, where she has the conversation briefly with the gardener, and then she turns back towards the tomb. And here's the reality. When Jesus calls out to her, she wasn't facing him. In the quick conversation, she has this conversation with him, and then she turns back towards the tomb. Listen, maybe there's some of us today, maybe you're online and you're on your couch, maybe you have been facing the brokenness and the destruction of a relationship, and you're not facing Jesus. Maybe you've been focused so much on a bad diagnosis you've gotten. Maybe all that you have seen is the insecurity in your life right now, and there seems to be no hope for you. Maybe you find yourself just like Mary, desperate for your Jesus, but you're focusing on the tomb. And here is a reality that I think we all have to wrestle with. It's easy to miss the restoration of the garden happening right before our eyes. It's easy to miss the garden being restored when we are only focused on the tomb. Y'all, that is a great place for an amen if you ask me. When I was writing, I was like, put an amen in there? That is a good place. It's easy to miss the restoration of the garden happening when we are only focused on the tomb. Come on, somebody. There's a moment where we have to understand that if we only focus on the things that is death, destruction, and pain and suffering, we are missing the restoration of the garden. The garden. I find it beautiful that as Mary is facing the tomb and Jesus calls out to her, he calls out to her by her name. Mary. Mary. 
The name Mary would have been one of the most, if not the most popular female name back in those days. So it's not a unique name. Which means that there must have been a, a tone, an intimacy, a deepness of the relationship between Mary and Jesus. That when he called her by name, she knew that voice on a deep and intimate level. I find it so beautiful that Jesus didn't reveal himself by telling her who he is, but rather who she was, that she was known, that she was seen, and that she was deeply loved. In that moment when Jesus is standing there as a gardener, he could have showed up, right? in like the sweetest, brightest, whitest, coolest stuff, and just been like, it is me. This is Jesus, right? But instead, instead, Jesus shows up in a posture, I imagine, on his knees, working in the dirt, cultivating the garden that he is in. He is working. He's getting his hands physically dirty. He's not just standing there saying, look at me. He's instead probably kneeling. He's probably messy. He might have dirt on his face. He may even have some sweat rolling down his brow. And as he has this conversation with Mary, he calls her by name. And it's a name that when he uttered those, that name to her, she knew she was deeply loved by the risen Savior. It's in that moment, I think, that she understands that the grave does not have the final word anymore, but Jesus does. The grave does not have the final word anymore. Jesus does. He holds the power. The grave was defeated, therefore it is transformed. The gra- I'm going to say that one again. The grave was defeated, therefore it was transformed. It holds no power compared to the restored garden of Jesus Christ. No longer is it a symbol of death, defeat and loss, but rather the grave, the cross, is a symbol of new life. It's a symbol of victory. It's a symbol of eternal gain. And the door is wide open. The stone is rolled away, and he stands there, and he calls out to to us by name. And I find it beautiful that in this book, this book is woven together so delicately and intimately. Did you know that? From the very first pages, we get, from the very first pages, God, Jesus, creating a what? Oh, a garden, a beautiful garden, probably beyond what we can even imagine. And here Jesus is, after he comes back from the dead, he is standing, kneeling, interacting in a garden. It is beautiful from the Old Testament to the New Testament how God has woven everything together. There's restoration and redemption in his word. The fall of the first Adam took place in a garden, and it was in a garden that the second Adam, Jesus, redeemed mankind from the consequences of the first Adam's transgressions. Gardens. Do we fully understand that the resurrection of Christ is the restoration, the great restoration of the world. 
And I think sometimes that we have to remember that I think it's, it's very important to remember that it says Jesus was a gardener. Because our world will tell us that Jesus is a few other things. Our world will try and tell us maybe that Jesus is a conductor. But Jesus is not a conductor. He's not punching tickets for a train ride to heaven. Our, our Christian hope is not about getting from earth to heaven. Our hope is getting heaven to earth. And guess what? It came to earth. His name is Jesus. It's also to remember that Jesus is not a lawyer. He's not standing before his big bad dad saying like, all right, daddy, here's what we're going to do. Listen. He's not negotiating like certain stuff. He's not getting us out of a legal jam with his angry dad. God's not mad at sinners. God loves sinners. And Jesus told Mary to go and to tell his disciples that his father was their father too. Did y'all miss that one? That's a big one. Listen to this. Listen to this. He says in verse 17, I'm going to my father. Go instead to my brothers. Man, that is an intimate my. Jesus calls the disciples my personal brothers. And tell them I am ascending to my father and your father. There's the moment in the garden in this conversation where Jesus makes it super personal. And I believe he makes it super personal for each and every one of us. Jesus is the gardener in the garden. He's, he's getting his hands dirty. The salvation process was messy. The work of gardening is intimate and it's messy. And he's not afraid of the mess. Maybe you're like me and there were moments in my life where I have felt, man, Jesus doesn't want to get up in my mess. Like, it's really messy. It's really, really messy. But there's a beautiful reality that Jesus is intimately restoring humanity back to himself. And Jesus talked about this. In John chapter 12, he talked exactly about this garden scenario. He talked about even in like a foreshadow, a prophecy of what he was going to do. Verse 24 in John chapter 20, uh, 12, 24. This is what it says. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is Jesus saying, I'm about to die. And when I come back, I'm going to produce many seeds. My impact is going to go farther than it's ever gone before. There's a moment where Jesus is talking personally. On Friday, Jesus was buried. On Saturday, he's cultivating what's about to happen. On Sunday, today, Jesus springs forth the first fruits of resurrection life. He's now the gardener of the resurrection. He's cultivating and he's making new life in those who believe. In all those who believe. Gardens. I'd love to tell you that I am an incredible gardener. The reality is, I suck. My wife and I are really good at actually killing succulents. I don't know how. We have a gift, okay? We have a gift. Um, but gardens, humanity fails in the garden. Jesus surrenders his will in the garden. Remember that, right? 
Jesus was buried in a garden. And Jesus is risen in a garden. Gardens. See, when they put Jesus on the cross, they believed that death was this executioner. That death was the final word. But death is no longer an executioner. Because of the erection, death is just part of the gardening process for Christ. And I'm sure that things shifted dynamically for Mary in that moment. I'm sure things radically changed in her heart in that moment. Once she realizes who this gardener is, her once dead savior that she was desperately longing for is now standing having a physical conversation with her right before her eyes. And he's inviting her into a deeper, a more personal and radical relationship with him. And he wasn't done there. He's still getting his hands dirty. I could tell you story after story after story of people who have radically had an encounter with Jesus the gardener where he got his hands dirty and he radically moved in their lives and their lives have never been the same. I could tell you stories of students that I've walked with where their story was addicted to drugs and alcohol and now they are addicted to the word of God. I could tell you stories of people even in this room who went from brokenness and now are experiencing healing like they've never experienced before. I could tell you story after story after story of what God, Jesus the gardener, has done. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful when he takes a broken life, a brokenness, and he makes greatness out of it. It's a beautiful moment when that starts to, to grow and to be planted. And so I got to ask, where are you seeking restoration in your life? And where are you looking for it? What area of your life right now are you seeking restoration in? And where are you looking for it? It's not in the self-help books. It's not in the, the, the new fun gadgets. It's not in the money. Where are you seeking restoration in your life and where are you looking for it? And that lends us to a second question. What level of restoration do you believe is possible in your life today? Some of those stories, I remember having conversations with people who have looked at me straight in the eye and said, man, I am too messed up for God, Kyle. Like, do you understand the brokenness in my life? Do you understand what I've done? Do you understand, true story, do you understand what I'm doing right now? Do you understand the, like, I, what I have in my pockets of what I was selling that you're having this conversation? Do you understand how messed up I am? 
God can't restore that. Man, what level of restoration do you believe is possible in your life today? Because there's never been a person that I've met that God couldn't redeem. I've yet to meet the person to look at me and say, man, Kyle, believing in Jesus was the worst mistake of my life. I've never met him because I don't believe it's possible. I don't believe it's possible. I've met people who have been restored from the most broken of broken situations and are now living life in Jesus in new life in ways they've never imagined before. So what level of restoration is possible for you in your life today? And maybe today you've been in, the, in that position. Hear me out. Maybe today you've been in the position where you've been focused on the tomb and the destruction, the despair, the pain, the longing, the defeat for so long that you, you have not turned around yet. Maybe there are tears like Mary as she was weeping. Maybe there are tears in your eyes, in your heart today that is clouding your perspective, clouding your sight to see who is right there, right in front of you, calling out to you. And maybe you have yet to engage him, which means you have yet to go from this posture to turn around and see him as he calls you by name. And maybe there's some of us today that we have to understand that Jesus is calling us by name. He is calling us by our name, a name that he created you for, a name that he gave you, a name that he knew before you were born. He is calling you his deeply beloved child, his wonderfully made masterpiece. He's calling you his son and his daughter, his friend. He is calling you his beloved and maybe for some of us, we just have to listen to those words. That Jesus calls us by name.